The wait is over, the guys are back. It's time for the first of our draft preview shows. Welcome to the Club Dub Football Podcast. Where the only question is Does your team make it into the club? Can he get in? No, he cannot! JB, to quote you as I was about to start recording, you said, it has been so long. It has. This feels like a a moment, almost a a reunion of sorts, to get the three of us back together talking about NFL football. And welcome everyone on Spotify out there in Listenerland. The Club Dub Football Podcast is going to take you through, really, three phases over the next three weeks leading you up to the NFL Draft. Our trilogy of shows will focus on offence, defence, and where we think people will land. Apologies in advance to those kickers in special teams will be picked up in round six and seven. Um, but before we even get there, it feels like we've got some business to take care of amongst ourselves. How the devil are you, gentlemen? Yeah, pretty damn good, thanks. Not too bad. Pretty damn good. I'll, I'll check that that gets through our uh, clean and no foul language filter. I think that's allowed. I think we're all right with that. Pretty damn good sounds good. Been up to anything exciting, Aldrin? I mean that you'd be happy um, to share with the greater world. Just, you know, racing go-karts. That's all I've been doing. It's not a bad way. Not a bad way to spend your time. And and yeah. JB, uh, I mean, some of what you've been doing is hanging out around Casa Rob. But um, how are things with you? Yeah, uh, tickety-boo. I think that will get us through the filter as well. Yeah, just about. Just about. Um, just not our own social filter, but apart from <laughs> Yeah, yeah, apart from when, that. When and, have uh, I ever worried about that? Well, yeah, true, true, true enough. Um, and Aldrin, in case you were wondering, um, JB and I have been watching Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy uh, over recent weeks in place nice. of recording a podcast. If only it was. Oh, um, the first what, one's all right. The second one's good. The third one is bad back, man. I just what, what we can do, though, Rob, is based on our movie watching before we watched the Bristol Dirt Race on oh, Sunday yeah, is, is listeners out there. I'm going to give you a massive film tip here, right? It's called inception, right? It's really good. If you haven't seen it yet, definitely we check did. it out. We did watch inception, which is amazing up there with tenet and um, memento as the proper puzzle box films from you also the, tried um, to make me watch Olin rubber Cannon. once. And that was a terrible experience for everybody. We, involved. we should explain that <laughs> there's, despite there's the hits that, and misses in the, in the Rose movie canon, but I, I think I think Rubber's all right. Um, a film about a killer tire. Um, for anyone who fancies checking that out, I'm sure it'll have a Wikipedia page. Um, but yeah, so our lives have kind of trundled on um, with the vacuum that was the NFL. And I was listening back to the last pod we recorded, which was kind of the start of the new league season. We were talking about free agency and which players were available and landing where. And we talked at great length about Aaron Rodgers. And there still seems more questions than answers a little over a month later. But but that isn't our topic today. Our topic today is going to be the offensive talent available in the 2023 NFL Draft. So I'm excited to get into that. But before we do, JB, we record on an evening where there is breaking news around the Washington Commanders. Talk us all through it. Well, after... What, how, when was this announced first that he was selling the team? Is it beginning of last season? 
Oh, it seems to have been going on it, forever. Yeah, the, yeah. The 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 constant machinations of the Washington football team in various names fan base has always been about their desire to remove Daniel Snyder as the owner, and their wishes and prayers finally appear to have been granted. Their opinions, not the opinions of this podcast in that there has been an announcement of a sale in principle of those very same Washington commanders to a very, very varied group of people, I think, when we were talking about it. I think it's the Josh Harris group. I think that's the name, um, which includes the ha- Josh Harris himself, who owns the Philadelphia 76ers of the National Basketball Association, the New Jersey Devils of the National Hockey League, and is also, I think, a part owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, you were telling me, Rob, which seemed weird yes, that I indeed. hadn't picked that up. Yeah, yeah. But then also includes DC area billionaire Mitchell Rails and Basketball Hall of Famer Magic Johnson. And I'm going to be completely honest with you, boys. If you told me, even this morning, that today we would be, we'd be, be discussing that particular group of people buying a football team, I would think that you were on glue strong um not the glue the the statement um if you're a billionaire and you're part of a group to buy an nfl football team i think that kind of sums up just how big the washington commanders are as a franchise i mean i know we don't have the details yet and the exact price but i mean it's going to be astronomic isn't it i mean they they just have an incredible fan base um a season ticket waiting list that's probably only bettered by what the packers i would imagine i mean so many things going on there um but with ownership can come an awful lot of things um the winds of change that so often follow ownership um i'm sure aldrin you appear um on other podcasts as a chelsea fan to talk about the values of wealthy owners and just what they can do to a football team's fortunes but yeah it feels like this was a long time coming it feels like a positive move uh for everyone in washington to have certainty if not um only a new direction um thoughts aldrin do you think this is going to improve the washington commanders moving forward as a footballing enterprise i don't know it's difficult to say isn't it because Depends what kind of ethos and approach that they come with. You know, I think, I don't know, you know, when Tepper came in from the Panthers, it it felt like he had this really clear vision with rule and building and growing, a you know, growing a franchise and and a coach and sticking with them. And that didn't really happen in the end. So I don't know. I think the thing with franchises often is consistency and, I think just good management. Maybe that's what the commanders have lacked. I mean, definitely lacked thanks to all of the, you know, controversies that they've maybe been surrounded by the last few years. So I think if nothing else, what you want from the new ownership is not to hear about them Yeah, as much as that. Do do you know what I mean? It's kind of like when you, you want in the same way you want referees to be anonymous. Yeah. If they're having a big impact on a game, then there's something wrong. And it's the same with, you know, football ownership. You shouldn't be hearing things about boardroom meetings and inappropriate texts and, you know, all this kind of stuff that's kind of gone around with the commanders. So, yeah, I feel like what you want almost is just a bit of anonymity and just calm, steady heads, 
put the right people in the right positions and ultimately let the coach do his job because I think we're all, you know, we're all big Ron Rivera fans. I think, yeah, I think what you want to do is get out of his way and not be in his way, which maybe the current ownership has been a little bit, but yeah. Like I say, if they can remove the distraction of the Schneiders, that might actually be the the biggest plus. I would I would wholeheartedly yeah. agree well, with that. Well the thing is, like if we if we take a step back and you look at the roster, you know, they've got a lot of good young pieces, a lot of growing talent. You know, maybe there's been question marks about quarterback over the last couple of years, but you know, that's true of a lot of teams sometimes when you just don't land on the right guy. You know, this Colts uh, might be in that conversation. But you know, like fundamentally, I think they've got a good, ro- a, a decent roster, a really good coach. And like you say, if they can just get out of the way and let him, you know, do what he does, then they might be on a better trajectory. Yeah. So thanks, JB. Thanks for the update on the commanders. Um, sounds like there's a minority stake in the Pittsburgh Steelers going. If you want to, uh, I don't know, have a rattle around in your pockets, see how much money you might be able to altogether that wouldn't be a, a bad way to i mean it. jb was budgeting today for the nfl games we've got later in the year so uh maybe he just puts that to better use yeah I had, a, yeah I had a quick rummage in the sofa cushions and managed to find what i'm sure would be the millions needed for that so yeah yeah sounds good sounds good so keep us up to date on your uh well very oh how would i describe it very worthwhile aim of trying to buy into the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I can only imagine that would, that I'm would go just, well. I'm just following in your footsteps, Rob, in attempted, you know, oh. sports team ownership. That That is, well, that needs to be a pod of its own. Yeah, that is becoming rather painful. Who knew that buying shares <laughs> in a football club could be quite so frustratingly long-winded? Are you um, suggesting it, that we need to save it for the Deportivo La Coruña podcast? Yeah, which, I mean, a Depor, well, I say Depor are doing all right. They win a game and I get excited and then they lose a game to a team I've never heard of and that excitement slowly dissipates. But yeah, things are on the up and up for the people of Galicia supporting the blue and white of Depor. But um, but yeah, before our odd um, kind of sporting fetishes are laid to bear with karting, NASCAR, Spanish football and the like, um, let's bring ourselves back round to the joys of NFL football. And actually, I suppose that isn't even correct, is it? Because in these podcasts, we're going to be focusing on that level that sits below the NFL, uh, namely the world of college football. And I guess um, what we're going to do really is take those fans who maybe don't follow college football. I I would have to raise my hand and say broadly, I would be one of those. And basically talk you through the headliners, the real highlights. We're not going to give you a seven-round mock draft here. We're just going to give you who we think the headliners are, who are the absolute best in the business when it comes to players at college level. And if you're a fan, who should you be excited about should your team land them in a couple of weeks' time? So as we said leading in, um, this is our offensive uh, show where we're going to focus on all things offense. But ultimately, gents, I know we've all done our uh, kind of research for this pod separately. Offense in terms of high draft picks seems to be what quarterback and wide receiver this time round. I think running backs tend to feel a bit more of a, a mid round quantity at the moment. Um, 
so yeah, we're going to talk you through the QBs and wide receivers specifically, I suppose, that we think could be first, second, third, fourth out when it comes to draft night and could seriously improve some of those NFL rosters. So the way I'm going to do it is basically go around our virtual room. You can all throw a name out and I'm sure we'll all have details to discuss. But Aldrin, as our resident college football expert, why don't you give us the best offensive prospect in the 2023 NFL draft? Well, I'm going to start with the controversial one because I know off pods, I started to mention it and got some interesting oohs and ahs. So I thought it's a good place to start. But Anthony Richardson is my Christ. prospect of the draft. And, and I, I say this not in the sense that I think he'll go first. But I think if I if I look at the prospect with the highest ceiling, he would be the guy that I pick. Now that doesn't mean that he'll achieve that ceiling or that he'll live up to, you know, some of the draft type that's kind of spawned over the last couple of weeks. But he would be the guy that I think is the most exciting prospect and the prospect that could take the roof off a franchise. Um the reason I say it is I mean, also, I'm a Florida Gators fan, so I'm going to bump for a Florida Gator. Um, but I think if you look at all of the intangibles that he has, I'm talking size, physicality, athleticism, yeah. arm, the guy is better than anyone in the draft. Just purely on those, and do not get me wrong, those are not the things that make an NFL quarterback entirely. But certainly, I think if you looked for a prototypical build, size, muscular frame, all of that, he would be the guy that ticks all of those boxes for a modern NFL quarterback. You know, he's big, he's strong, he's quick, he's nimble. He is a... I was I was watching some tape on him before, and he's one of those guys that linebackers do not want to tackle in the open field because the guy is massive. And he yeah. is fast. It's like a freight train coming towards you. So I think all of those things considered, this is why I'm I'm plumping him as the the highest potential in the draft, just because I think he's got that potential to be incredible. The flip side of that is really limited college tape. I think 13 starts. And of that tape, you can watch highlights, and there are incredible highlights. The guy is phenomenal if you only watch the highlights. And if you watch film, you watch a lot of the flaws and a lot of the things that mean that he is not going to be the first quarterback off the off the board and that he's going to need some time and some work because inconsistent throws, game management, reading of, you know, the plays developing, all that kind of stuff is severely lacking. You know, there's a lot of things in his game that he is really going to have to sharpen up at the NFL level because, you know, I, I think if you make a similar comparison in terms of Lamar Jackson, you know, yeah. yes, athleticism, size, talent gets you so far, but you have to work on the fundamentals because ultimately you are there to run the offense from a tactical standpoint. You are there to run the offense from a passing standpoint. And you have to be on point with both of those. And pure athletic talent alone will not take you everywhere. So I think there's a lot in his game that he needs to work on, particularly in that passing. But I think the guy has got a cannon of an arm. <laughs> and if he can 
use it to find the right players in the right moments in games, then he's phenomenal. But that is a massive, that's a massive thing to have a flaw on is not being accurate, not reading yeah. things right, all of that kind of stuff. So that that was the one that made me smile as you were speaking. And I know we live in a world where a quarterback is a different position to the pocket passes of kind of 15 years ago. But when you said the one thing he's got to work on is his passing, you're like that's that's a pretty big chunk. But let let's. Oh, yeah, I agree. But I mean, I think you could have said you. We all said that about Lamar Jackson yep. coming out of college. You know, the yep. one thing he has to work on is his passing. Yeah, that wasn't the example you know, that I was thinking of. That wasn't the one in, in head when you saw about big arm needs to work on his accuracy. Yeah, how is Josh Allen going to translate oh, well, into the NFL? Uh, don't do Josh Allen I yet. We got a, we got Will. No, Levis I have a better come, yeah. comparison. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, there's, there's, a, there's a better comparison, comparison to Josh Allen. Yeah, <laughs> so. So in terms of what you've said, I'll give you the numbers because I, I did all my I did all my homework like a really good boy. So he ran a four four in the forty, right at two hundred and thirty eight pounds, six foot yeah, four. It's really sluggish, isn't it? Ten yeah. percent body fat. I mean, as an athlete, he is sensational. But then you you flip it, Aldrin, and, and you've nailed this. 13 starts. And I mean, let's be fair, he's one of the very few high QB prospects who hasn't got two full seasons of tape, let alone only 13 yeah. starts yeah. in one season. And also the inconsistency. I mean, he comes out of college with an 80.1 grade. I mean, if you I mean, we're going to talk about quarterbacks shortly who are, you know, well into the 90s. And you you start to look at those comparisons and think, well, you know, I, I can see why what you've described would make him an incredible college talent. I just wonder about even the fastest players in the league, you know, struggle to outrun NFL level linebackers. Even the linemen in the NFL move so much faster. So I, I don't know. I, I just wonder, will the NFL chip away at too much of that upside? But I like the fact we started with them. I think he is one of two absolute anomalies because I think he mm -hmm. excites, he polarizes, you know, and you've got some people who think he will go top 10, some people who think he might go seven, go five. And then you've got other people who yeah. see him far more as a project. And, and you just made the comparison to Lamar Jackson. I mean, he went, I want to say 32nd. Did the Ravens take him with the last, yeah, it was the last pick? pick wasn't yeah. he? They came back um, up. They came back up. You know what? I think you know, that is an interesting comparison. And if he goes much higher than that, I think he's probably got Lamar Jackson to thank. He's probably got the fact that we've oh, seen well, a player I, go this is why, and, and do this already. This is exactly why I think he will go top five. Because I think there are plenty of teams that passed on Lamar Jackson thinking, we'll get him in the third, fourth round, yeah. no problem, maybe second, because yeah. he's got so much to be worked on and he's a, he's a way off. And yeah. then all of a sudden Lamar Jackson's thrust in and you go, oh, gee, you know, he the guy's fine. got talent. He can make plays. He can drag us along, even with deficiencies in his game. And I think that's why Richardson is one of those guys that I think will go top five. Mm. Because I think if you think you're going to get him top 20, you might be missing out. And yeah. I, I think there's so many quarterback needy teams and there'll be teams with a longer term vision as well. Because I think... I think if you want Richardson to meet his potential, he cannot start this year because I think there's so much for him to work on. If you think that you're going to plug him in and he's just going to get it, you are dead wrong. There is so much that he needs to work on. But if you pick him up 
top five and you sit him for a year, I think mm. you've got some real potential. If he sits behind a good starter and you get him reps and you get him involved in some gadget plays and things like that, maybe then great, he could get there. But I don't think you can rely on him this year. But I don't think you can pass him up and think you'll get him in second round or late in the first because he'll be gone and somebody will reap yeah. the rewards in two years. The, the problem with that, though, is like you just said, if you can pick, if you pick him up top five, which teams in the top five need a quarterback, but don't need a quarterback that much that they could pick that use their top five pick on one and sit him for a year. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to do this now because I think in everything we talk about with quarterbacks, this is going to be my general point of it's so important for like, kind of like you were talking about just then it's so important for them to write land with the right team for that skill set. You look at, again, the development and the resources that the Ravens put into Lamar Jackson, the amount of time, the bills and we'll come back to Josh Allen, the bills gave Josh Allen to practice and develop and go through some growing pains and everything like that. Yes. There are people that surprise us. Justin Herbert, I think is always the example that we go with of just came absolutely flying out of the gate completely unexpectedly. Cause am I right? He was the one that he started opening weekend because Tyrod Taylor got, uh, an air bubble in his lung, wasn't it? No, Tyrod Taylor started one game, yeah, and then before in. the was it? Yeah, second, yeah. It, before the second, he had the injection, and then it, Herbert was in. I said I couldn't I remember think. if it was the first or the second, but there are some there are some that surprise us, and usually there is always one. But ultimately, for everyone, you like you have to give them the time. Like you said, I think he's an incredible prospect. But he is the kind of incredible prospect that is going to get ruined. I'm going to say kind of like you saw with Andrew Luck in the Indianapolis Colts. Now, I'm not saying he is Andrew Luck level by any means. Don't please don't like no clickbait titles on that. I think it's I think it's different, though, because Andrew Luck was a sure thing coming out of college. Mm. You know, you plugged him in and you go, yeah, we can ride him because he's got the talent and the deficiency for the Colts, among many things was protecting him. I don't think, I think the protection that Richardson is going to need is more mental, more, you know, it's going to have to be resisting the urge to put him in, resisting the things that you see in the weight room and the gym and all of these kind of things and going, no, you need to sit a year. You've got to learn. You've got to, because that's the thing is you're going to be so tempted. And particularly if you pick him high, yeah. going to be so tempted in the fram base as soon as you start losing games he's going to be clamoring for him but i think oh, you end so... up that, yeah that... i i straddle your points in a weird kind of way because i think yes i agree that he's not nfl ready but he's also such an oddly unique talent and how many times you know it's almost how many times somebody... say, you've got to build an offense around him you, you're not going to be able to build a playbook you know if you're i mean i'd look at uh, i mean going back to your point jb i said i was straddling these points i don't think the teams in the top 10 or top five will end up being the teams in the top 10 or the top five you're looking at and i know we're going to talk about this on a future pod so i'll keep but do the raiders feel tempted to go and trade and get, you know does someone like that with a garoppolo in situ but the problem is you have got to build an offense around his talents and also minimise 
his flaws or at least his inexperience as we sit here i mean it makes him a phenomenal um prospect to talk about i just think you've got to have a lot of belief to go out and get the guy um he could well go top five but i mean if i was a gm i'm not sure i'd see him quite there i, th- I think that's too much of a risk i think um, with with quarterback a above all other positional groups, and I'm not just talking about offense, we won't go into the defense, but of every position that you could possibly look at in the draft, the quarterback is the one that you have to nail. If you go for it, especially in the first round, if that's going to be your guy, you have to get it right. But there are so many like intangibles about the whole thing. Like we can point to the example of like how close were we to getting the Indianapolis Colts with the number one pick select Ryan leaf instead of Peyton Manning. We look at the Raiders going all in on, um, uh, Jamarcus Russell. And then we Tight, also look Tom at Vince young could be another one. Yeah. yeah. But then we also look at what we saw last year of with the final pick of the draft, the San Francisco, uh, San Francisco 49ers take Brock Purdy and look how well that potentially worked out for them. It is, it is a baffling science. Yeah. And when you nail it, you're sorted. And again, you have to look at the teams will look at uh, Richardson and think, we can we can do this with him. We can win with him. I think, I think the thing with him, and it kind of goes back to your point and mine as well a little bit, Rob, in the sense that, you know, Lamar Jackson and his ability is kind of paving the way for Richardson being taken high. I think there's so many teams that have that, that really recent memory passing on a brilliant quarterback. You know, you think of the teams that passed on Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. Oh, Russell Wilson. Everyone was looking for the next Russell Wilson for years. But that's my point. You know, recently there's been so many teams that have taken punts on other players and missed out on the real blue chip talent that they could have got. And I think, you know, that's the reason that somebody will take a flyer on Richardson High because you you can't be the guys that missed out on him when he was there. So that's why. There isn't there isn't another one of many talented quarterbacks. Yeah, there isn't another one of him in the draft for sure. So JB, we came to you last um talking about Anthony Richardson. So let's have you go first with your highest offensive prospect. Almost interesting in the twenty twenty three draft. So I always try and look at these slightly differently to all of the rest of you, because if we looked at things in the same way, this would be a really boring podcast, but this is usually the preamble that leads to me saying something that has the both of you pulling a uh, shocked Pikachu face, I believe as the kids be saying it these days. Um, because tell was... me Hendon Hooker is the best quarterback. Like well, no, I'm, I wasn't even going to talk about quarterbacks. I, I was going to bypass that completely. On, I was going to talk, about... talk about O-line. No, I was going to talk about the exciting tight end prospects in the draft. Well, do you know what? When Rob was saying there's like two positions, I was thinking, actually, this year. Mm. This is meant to his- be a historic year for tight ends, isn't it, yeah. in the draft? So, all right. Um, yeah, no, fair. Fair. Talk to me about tight ends then, JB. Also, obviously, you've got um, Dalton Kincaid out of Utah, who... It seems to be, I think, seems to be a high man on a lot of people's like draft sheet, on a lot of people's like prospects list with um, 
likenings to he's a more explosive Zach Ertz. And when you think about how critical Zach Ertz is or was to that Eagles Super Bowl victory season and how well he's done kind of for the Cardinals as almost that kind of like we have him and we haven't really got anybody else at the moment. And he kind of shoulders this burden and progresses on with it. You've got Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame um, relationship to John Mayer, the singer unconfirmed who looks a bit rougher, a bit more of like a power guy. And then kind of top three would be Dana Washington out of Georgia who kind of sits between the two. Like he's a more traditional inline kind of player a bit awkward, but with kind of power and the kind of the spectacular catch thing that honestly you get from guys like Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey. And the, the interesting bits of the draft for a lot of people are who gets picked in the first 10, who gets picked in like the last five, who who are the ones that you say sneak into the first round? And for me, I'm more looking at the middle now because there is, to me, such a gulf of talent, but also a parity because the teams that are bad are really, really bad, like historically awful. Hello, Bears, sadly. Hello, Texans. But then the quality uptick really goes on and the teams that are really, really good are really, really good. And the contenders aren't that far away. And you look at teams that have got young quarterbacks. We'll take the Jets out of this because the Jets, when when time comes to play actual football, the Jets won't have a young quarterback. They'll have the reigning league MVP. Um, but you look at someone like the Chargers with... Um, Herbert, who kind of we talked about, we look at the Bengals with Burrow, you look at potentially what the Lions or someone like that could want to pick up for Jared Goff. Even talking about a team like the Bears or something like that, who might want that nice security blanket to surround Justin Fields with. And if they trade back a little bit, maybe there's someone there. Maybe they feel good enough about going for that quarterback, uh, that tight end rather where they are now. Because the thing that I always look back and think to is when talking about like mobile quarterbacks, talking about game-changing quarterbacks. The Panthers picked Cam Newton. And one of the first things they did was they went and got Greg Olson from the Bears as his, okay, here's your here's your safety valve. Here's your security blanket. Here is the guy that will be open that you will be able to find for the short pass when you need it. And they formed one of the best partnerships the Panthers have ever seen in terms of quarterback and receiver, like genuinely good. And I'm surprised more teams don't seem to follow that. Yes, we saw it a little bit with the Bengals going to get, um, oh, I cannot remember his name now, the receiver to pair up with Burrow. Uh, I'm, I'm stuck. I've completely blanked. Marches? Yes, sorry, yeah. Oh, when oh the, I was thinking yeah, tight end. The, there you go. That's no, 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 this no, this is the thing. When the there was a run of it, like the, the Bengals went and got Chase to pair up with Burrow. The um the Eagles went to go and get the guy to pair up with Hertz. And was it the Dolphins went and got was it Waddle to pair up with Tua? Tua Tungavolo. Well, don't forget Hollywood yeah. Brown being brought into Arizona to pair with Kyler Murray. I mean, that was yeah. the real 
big success story of those types of partnerships. There's been a, a big push for that kind of thing. And it just seems surprising that more teams haven't looked at that kind of uh, young quarterback to tight end path and gone more from there. Because again, Ben Roethlisberger really benefited from the relationship he was able to put through with um, Heath Miller. Mm-hmm. And I've already mentioned Gronk, Gronk and Brady. Is there a better historic partnership between between quarterback and tight end than that? Well, I think the thing with thing with also, draft though is so now I was just going to say the thing with the draft is the re- I think the reason a lot of teams haven't historically gone for that kind of pairing of a of a rookie tight end is purely because a lot of the time rookie tight ends need time to develop. Yeah. You know, physically they're not as overmatching as they were in college because yeah, they're 230, 250, 260 pounds, but there's lots of those guys. And that's yeah. that's historically been where you know, you want to bed them in, beef them up, let them learn the blocking schemes and all that kind of thing. But I think there's so much of a shift now in what the tight end position is. It's now just a juiced up wide receiver. receiver yeah. And gone are the days where people give a monkeys whether you can block or not, because if you can catch and you can bowl over linebackers and you can run a 40 quicker than a lot of receivers, then, yeah, you're the guy that's going to be the offensive tackle. So... <laughs> I, I uh, kind of with you. I think young quarterback experience tight end, I get. I think with with a, a younger tight end, do you want to pair them with a more, ultimately a, a more experienced guy under centre? We're only talking about Travis Kelsey, weren't we, as part of our quiz element, probably at the tail end of last season, where we were reminded that he had no yards whatsoever in his first NFL season and then went on to break the record for tight ends in their first, was it nine or 10 or potentially even both? I mean, I think there are a few things about tight end. Firstly, the fact there are so many good ones means that will a team go really high on one of these guys knowing that actually if they miss them there's probably going to be a level of quality there in rounds two three and four i mean for me Mayer is the most interesting because he's just such a scoring threat i mean 18 touchdowns in two college seasons is is great i mean you compare that to a lot of the highly touted wide receivers in the draft and that's really really you know, a, a kind of uptick um, when you look at his stat sheet. So yards and touchdowns for Mayer, the physicality, the way he fits in that offense alike. But yeah, I, I could see, I don't know, I could see maybe only one tight end going in round one and then maybe five or six going in rounds two, rounds three, something like that. That's how I see that spread. But, you know, you are absolutely right when you talk about tight ends and what they can do through their careers. I mean, Tight ends have, have played well into their 30s historically. These are good value picks if you can find the right guy. And in the case of a, a Kelsey, a Gronk, and so on and so forth, I mean, as you were saying, Aldrin, these are now players who can really kind of set a tone and and really kind of be a focal point of an offense in a way they never were before. So I, I tell you what makes it most exciting to me when it comes to tight end, the fact that good teams will be able to pick good tight ends. The fact that if you're picking in the last four or five picks of round one, there's going to be some talent there at tight end if that's what you're looking for. And and you started with that, JB. The tight ends in this draft will give the opportunity for the really good teams to get better. And that's what's exciting for me about that position group. 
on then rob give us your exciting or oh so does it roll around to me well, well i'm going back to qb i could go wide receiver and maybe there's a certain you know symmetry or balance if i do as as we started with a qb but i'm going to stick with quarterback only because we touched on him earlier and i want to talk about him now we will actually get to the guys who have actually half a chance of going first second or third overall um will levis is i don't know if if richardson is unique and an anomaly well, Levis is for so many different reasons, but ends up being equally polarizing, equally controversial. You can look at um, some of these supposed draft experts online who say that he's got the kind of arm talent to go top five. You will speak to somebody, um, you know, or you will see someone talking on another channel a few minutes later who tells you that he is just never going to fit and never going to work in the pro ranks. So let me give you the headlines. Kentucky for the last two seasons after starting his first, well, spending his first year of college at, at Penn State and that didn't work out. If you look at 2021, absolutely flying. This is a guy who can make all of the throws, um, who was, you know, people love it, don't they, if they've been developed in a pro-style offense, which Will Levis definitely has. But then you look at 2022 and the question marks come. There are question marks around accuracy and decision-making, but actually some people will tell you that that's all down to the injuries he was carrying through that season. But actually in the world of the draft is a college player with a long list of significant injuries in his second year as a starter, is that more or less of a red flag? I mean, Josh Allen seems to be the comparison point because you've got brilliant arm talent, but have you got somebody who can rein in that arm and make the sensible throws, take the smart decisions rather than always trying to fit that ball into these incredibly tight spaces? Um, I think he's fascinating. I think the fact that he's kind of a, pocket passer in it i mean he's not quite in the traditional pocket passer mold but the fact he's more in that mold means he is better able to spend a year learning from somebody think about him learning from say a garoppolo or somebody like that you can see how he could develop into more of a kind of pro style offense at the pro level but there are some people who will tell you that this guy will sign a contract and in three years will no longer be in the league. For a guy who could well go top 10, I don't think we've ever heard people be quite so polarised about a quarterback prospect. I think that last sentiment, sentiment is a very, very bold statement considering a lot of the players we've seen come through the NFL. Um, you, you, have, you have online analysts who say this guy shouldn't go in the top three rounds a circa like mac jones i suppose was was the last but he's even more polarizing because you have got nobody was saying mac jones was going to be the next joe montana there are some people who were really really excited about well then others who are completely disinterested i think that's that's a first in my time but following the nfl you- Let's let's use Mac Jones then. There were people who were very very high on Mac Jones. There were people who had, who they had his detractors, but there were people who was like, "This guy is an absolute slam dunk." And I mean, have we seen people be more wrong about a quarterback in recent years? Because that guy's a jobber. Um, we're not here to talk about that though. Um, All I will say is, pro football focus have Levis going three or four. They reckon. And you can look at NFL.com and look at Bucky Brooks and so, and they have him going fourth round. 
fourth overall to fourth round. It's the same guy. It's the same film they're all looking at. That that's that feels different to me. Doing a comparison, let's say between um, Richardson and Levis, almost feels like a disservice because I don't think the teams, like the front offices, the organisations that would be interested in one, would be interested in both. I think this is very. I think this is a marmite kind of situation. In you love one or you love the other, you don't love both. And almost, I think it's whoever who. This is going to sound like a really stupid statement, but whoever you fell in love with, that's the one that you go with. And you look at the other one almost like he is the inferior version of the one that we like. Um, I think there, there will absolutely be teams, again, like Richardson, who will be looking at Levis and thinking, we can fix him. We can we can make him more than, than what he is. We can help him live up to his potential. And there will be teams that are thinking that that are right. And there will be teams that are thinking that and they're going to be dead wrong. And if you're Levis, you've got to hope you land up on the right side of that argument. Le- Levis can sit behind your quarterback like a Tannehill in Tennessee or whoever, you know, those more traditional kind of grade A type quarterback and can learn a system. Richardson, whenever he comes in, you're going to have to build one around him. That that's the difference for me, but I I, I appreciate your point. They're probably going to have feelings about going one or the other, but I still think Levis is. I've just never seen it. Some people are really turned off by him, um, and that for me again maybe Josh Allen is the the best comparison. But I don't know. I was a, not a big fan of him. Was it? so yeah, maybe I should be quiet. Aldrin, you're a college expert. Give us your view before we move on. I think somebody will take him high because he is the prototypical quarterback. Look at his measurables. He's 6'4", he's 230, rocket of an arm, played in a pro-style offense. People will take him high. Do I think he'll live up to that? No. I think, yeah, he was playing her and he gutted it out last year. But... It's no excuse for poor footwork, poor pass placement, poor reads. And I think there's one really interesting stat from last year is that a quarter of his passes were to players behind the line of scrimmage last year. You know, it's just, yeah, he's got this mammoth arm. It's just using it right. And I think that's the key thing. I think maybe if you sit him a year and he learns more and he has a healthy year, then great, he might improve. I I do think he's... I think he's worthy of being taken high because all of the things that you look for in a quarterback are there and the potential is there. And there aren't that many, like we talked about with Richardson, there's nobody else really in the draft quite like him. So I think somebody will take a flyer on him and he's got that potential, but I'm, I'm wary of with him, you know, the, the thing you've got with Richardson is that, He's not as experienced, but everything could come together very quickly if he gets it and you get him more experience. With Levis, it's like he's had a bit of experience and, yeah, he kind of flew a little bit in his first year, but lots of college quarterbacks do, and then it catches up with them. People learn more about them and they they figure them out. And, yeah, I don't know. I think he'll get taken high because there's everything there that means that he could be a brilliant quarterback in the league. Whether or not he achieves that, I think is very much down to him. I think there's, I don't know, seems to be this 
overconfidence, over arrogance with him that kind of comes across. And yet you saw him in the combine and he was like, yeah, I want to, I've got a rocket of an arm and I want to show it. And then he, he did, but then the three throws in between that are all poor, not really well placed, asking a lot of a receiver, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think he's got all of the talent and all of the ability there and all of the physicality and all the things you look for. But again, uh, yeah, he'll get taken in the first round, 100%, because there's quarterback oh, teams. Yeah, yeah. You cannot miss out. There's no way that any of those crazy draft predictions that he goes anywhere other than top 20 are completely wrong, because somebody will take him because the needs there. Whether or not to that draft status is very different. It all depends to me on, and maybe we are we are dipping a little bit into what we might talk about in, in two weeks' time, but it all depends on how quickly Stroud and Young go off the board because you're not taking oh, either one. Oh, one and two. Like, there's, there's no <laughs> question. Yeah, yeah. One and two. That's, that's fine, but we have to enter into, into, into the possibility that it won't be one and two, how quickly it goes off. But the thing is, if they go one and two, and then let's say Richardson for some reason goes three, uh, there will be there will be uh, there will be teams that will be like right we need to trade up immediately we need to get this guy because there will be there will be people that will start to panic that that's an interesting yeah. point yeah well once you've missed out or once someone else once you i mean arizona at, what are we three i think are an three. interesting pick because obviously we don't need a qb but there will be teams thinking are they going to trade are they going to trade are, you know is there going to be a pick traded with one of those more needy teams that turns all of this on its head and i i actually think that pick at three whether the Cardinals stick around and, like I say, we'll come to this in a fortnight and, and pick probably a defensive player, I would imagine, um, or whether they trade down. I mean, that's going to be that's going to be so critical to what the, you know how the house of cards falls and and just where the quarterbacks land. Um, but should we? We've just touched on them. Should we? Should we quickly do Bryce Young and C.J. Shroud? That we've we've kind of not ignored, but but maybe gone for the guys that aren't quite so in the spotlight. So I probably have, and I think most people have, Young going one overall to Carolina. I think he probably looks yeah. the class of this particular year's draft. CJ Stroud, I think, has got an awful lot going for him. And like you said, Aldrin, I think probably goes two. Um, let, let me pose something to each of you, and maybe Aldrin, you go first. Is there any argument you can make that Young doesn't go one overall? Oh, 100%. I mean, I think you, you can fall in love with Stroud. You know, if you're the Carolina Panthers, uh, the thing is, I think the Panthers are at one so that they've got the choice. You know, who's the guy that they fall in love with? And I think it's easy to say, the thing with both of them, and this is why I say, yeah, it's easy to see C- to say CJ Stroud goes first overall or equally Bryce Young goes first overall is purely because there's things to love and there's things to be worried about in both of them. A hundred percent because with Bryce Young, you've got, yes, he is a brilliant leader. He is a brilliant mind of a football field engineer, but he's not got the biggest arm and he's not the biggest player by a long shot, and there's worries and concerns about his physicality and his size. Equally with CJ Stroud, 
I think you've got a better passer with a better arm, but not the same progressions, read speed, and there's question marks about his ability to deal with top competition when the pressure's on. Now, I think he kind mm. of dispelled a bit of that against Georgia. Yes. But yeah, yeah, I was going to th- say. There's, those question, there's, there's been those question marks throughout his college career. So I think there's, there's things to love and there's things to be concerned about with both. So I think it's really going to come down to who the, the Panthers fall in love with through the process. And they've given themselves that luxury by going up to one, which actually I think was not a bad deal in terms of what they gave away. For, if you compare it to like past, years yeah. and past players, maybe I don't think it was, you know, selling the farm totally for, you know, a no. guy that's going to be your quarterback for 15 years potentially. But I think there's things to love and there's things to be worried about with both. So you can easily make an argument for either. Okay. So I'm obviously a little more confident that Young goes first. JB, your thoughts? This to me feels an awful lot like the um, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff one, two year, but with both prospects being better, like almost universally regarded better than those two. Still a big fan of Jared Goff. Both got to Super Bowls. Yes. Okay. I will stipulate that that is correct. That is factually correct. And that is the best kind of correct. One of them won Um, a Super Bowl. One of them just missed out on a Super Bowl. Like it's not, not a bad record for, if you think of comparing one. I would. Okay. This feels like a low blow, but I I am going to go into this. Carson Wentz won a Super Bowl because Nick Foles won it for him. Uh, I look at that season. I I think if you, if, if you go, I mean, we're getting into the realm of being cranky old men talking about past years and not looking ahead to the draft. But I think if you look at both of their seasons when they got to the Super Bowl, they were both a big part of the reason that their teams got to the Super Bowl. So take away from whence that Super Bowl and that playoff when he was injured, but he was MVP that year yeah. on form. And and same with Goff, you could say that he was brilliant. But yeah, we we don't like Jared Goff. Yeah. I, th- I think Goff, Goff has improved. I, I like Goff more with the lines. But anyway, yes, it's still this kind of thing where Young, to me, is the clear choice. But up until Big Rog stands at the podium and says, with the first pick, the Carolina Panthers select quarterback Bryce Young, it could be either of them. And given, again, if... the we can we can turn this around. We can bring this around to relevance. Carson Wentz's MVP season when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, Frank Reich was offensive coordinator or quarterbacks coach. Yeah. yeah. Quarterback coach. Um he was a big part of that Carson Wentz success. So there is a part of me that's looking and thinking whichever one Frank Reich decides to go for, that's the one that I'm going to have the most faith in. But that's more about, I trust Frank Reich. I like Frank Reich as a coach. I think he's really good. And I think he will have the right eye for what they want to do. I think if Young doesn't go first, if the Panthers take Stroud, the second pick is going to go to the highest bidder. Because they, whoever yeah. it is, yeah, the Texans will take bro- Texans desperate for a quarterback will take either of those two guys in a heartbeat. 
in a half. The oh no, the Texans would take either of them. However, if let's let, let's just put this out there. If Jerry decides he's going to be on the other side of this generation's Herschel Walker trade, the Texans aren't going to turn that down because you couldn't even for, even for whichever prospect is available on the board. There is always the argument that we will trade out to get more for the future, because at some point I'm going to put this out there. At some point, the Texans have to start thinking about the future long-term have to start having a plan. Maybe it's the quarterback. Maybe it's trading back, whoever it is. But if Young is available at two, you can guarantee there will be phones ringing off the hook at the Texans with people trying to make an offer for that deal. He's available at three. I'd love us to pick him. Um, But yes, the further the best players fall, the more there may be a scramble. I think maybe, maybe someone will pay the Panthers what the Panthers should have had to have paid the Bears, really. I mean... You know, yeah. the one could move again yet. But uh, but anyway, I mean, that, that feels like a full my, time. Yeah, I was going to say, my pick, if I was the Carolina Panthers, taking CJ Stroud. Oh, really? I said, the other week, yeah, I said it the other week. I think he'll be the best. I, I know think, there's this to do about Ohio State players. And I think that Georgia game was so important, wasn't it, for him showing he's got that big yeah. game mentality. But crikey, I just, you know, I'd, yeah, I'd, I just I'd, think, I'd be taking Bryce Young. Oh, I know. And conventional wisdom says that. I just think if you if you come to me in four years time, I think Bryce Young's. I don't know. I, I hate to say it, but I, I don't know how he makes it. I think he's too small. I think everything about him is just. Yeah. Well, I, I think take, CJ Stroud is the more tradition. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's great for a short period. But that's that's my big concern with him is that that and this is the thing that I always have with those first round picks is that you're going into bad franchises. You're going into teams yeah. that suck. And if yeah. you're the smallest, lightest quarterback ever taken in the draft, there's worries and you're going to get hit and you're going to, and I know, I mean, you say anybody getting hit by any of the NFL defensive linemen. Yeah. You're going to come off trouble and it's going to be bad, but that's just my big concern with him. It's not. It's not what's in his head. It's the rest of it that concerns me. And he doesn't have that, that big arm either. And it, it's those few things that give me pause. I think CJ Stroud. If I'm the Colts, I'm. I would pick CJ Stroud. You know, if if we had the first pick and I was looking at those quarterbacks, CJ Stroud would be the guy. Um, wow. Or Richards. But yeah, CJ Stroud would be the guy over Russia. If if Richardson, Richardson was, if Richardson but... goes one, crikey, I'm turning off the TV and going to bed. Um, but, okay, oh, wow. but that would be so good. That would be the most interesting bit of the well, draft. If I mean, I, I the only thing, and it, and it isn't the same situation. It won't happen. I remember as a Cardinals fan, I think we were picking 15th, 16th, something like that one year, and I wanted us to take Baker Mayfield. Right, I thought Baker Mayfield might be there, middle of the first round. I really wanted us to take Baker. And then in the weeks leading up to the draft, crazy things happen. Momentum builds, weird old things happen. And it was Dorsey, yeah, and the Browns. And it, it, anyway, yeah, everything that transpired that season um, with how the quarterbacks fell in that draft and Darnold. Anyway, anyway, um, yeah, crazy things can happen. There are still a few weeks to go. Um, right, before we duck out, 
of our um, offensive podcast. Um, should we give honourable mention to some wide receivers? There are some potential game changers, and we love this phrase, don't we? Generational talents that are being touted in the draft ranks this year. Um, so, Aldrin, your thoughts on wide receivers? So, I think there's a fair few. I mean, this year, I think, is pretty stacked. In terms of pass-catching people, and I'm not just committing myself to wide receivers, but I think pass-catching people of any position, you've got some really good running backs that can catch. You've got some incredible tight ends that are going to blow the roof off. But there's a heck of a lot of darn good wide receivers. And I think, for me, it's, it's tough to pick the best because there's there's a few different attributes of either of them. But I think Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State is... Yeah. incredible i think yeah. the guy's got brilliant hands and really showed out at the combine as well i was really impressed with his combine performance i think yeah he he showed what he could do there and um, zay flowers is probably yeah, I think he'll the go first round kind of yeah oh 100 i think he's yeah. like a real home run talent quentin johnston from tcu i mean it's six four two fifteen you want somebody to go vertical that guy is going i mean, I mean the, 18, the incredible thing about, i was going to say yeah nearly 20 yards per yeah. completion for a small Ridiculous. school wide receiver yeah he does look crazy yeah i'd love yeah. us to end up with him hopefully not at three though, this year. I, I i think the good thing with this receiver class is there's a lot of good ones yeah um and it's funny because there's a few that are from colleges you don't necessarily really yeah the small school guys expect yeah, you definitely. know like there's a few from like SMU Houston Stanford you know Boston College is Zay Flowers like yeah, yeah. you know they're not big school guys but <laughs> there's some real athletic talent in all of them so yeah I think it's pretty stacked but yeah um Smith and Jigba is the guy that I think is probably the pick of the bunch, but it's it's close. It depends what you want from a receiver out of those kind of three top ones. All, all his films show, and I, again, it's the highlight real stuff, right? I don't follow college football, as I said earlier, but in terms of getting separation, he just, his route, he's sharp to, I mean, just everything. He, he just looks like he could run any route in the, the kind of tree as a receiver. So that I love, but I do think... Quentin Say flowers, looks, I think. Oh, you think flowers? I, I just think Johnson. I mean, from TCU, all of those yards, all of those. I just think he looks. He, he just looks to me. And everyone says, you know, the next Randy Moss, or we should probably update that, shouldn't we? The next what? Mike Evans. <laughs> the next. I, I don't know. He he yeah. just looks to me like he could be absolutely transformational in the right setup. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, Zay Flowers, like... I think, is the best is the best guy if you want a route runner to get away from a cornerback because you just cannot stick with him. He's so frisky and he's so talented in his routes. But yeah, that's why I think it depends what team is looking for what. Because if you want somebody to, you know, take the top off a of route, then Johnston's the guy. If you want an all rounder, Smith and Jigba's the guy. If you want somebody to be shifty and route running and clever, Maybe... Flowers is it. Any concerns about Smith and Jibber with hamstring injury last season? I know he got, what, 1,500 yeah. yards the year before, but any concerns yeah. hamstring? I, th- I don't think so, because I, I think, you know, he he's did he did his pro day and he looks pretty sharp yeah, and he looked comfortable. I think the thing is, when you, you get those as a receiver, you know, yeah. sometimes if you're that talented, you're that quick, 
it happens to the best. So I think he looks pretty healthy now. I think you take the talent and worry about the rest later. But yeah. Nice work with wide receivers, Aldrin. So JB, that means I'm throwing over to you to round out our pod with honourable mentions at running back. So the one that I had was uh, Bijan, Bijan Robinson. Um, we all do our research on this pod, obviously, but we all, I think if you are a follower of the NFL, you always have your people that you listen to. You have your people whose opinions you trust. Um, I like to listen to Daniel Jeremiah as a scout. I think he's, yes, Rob, you, I, I trust and listen to you, but I like what, uh, a lot of what Daniel Jeremiah puts together. And he has Robinson third in his list of prospects out of all of them. And that to me for a running back to be that high with how devalued that position is, I think is incredible. But if you look at the stats, if you look at the tape, you can see why he's doing that. He is a three down back that seems to be good at everything you'd want them to do. He can hit the hole with power. He can break tackles, but he's got great lateral quickness when he needs to sort of cut across. He's got great hands who also adjusts like a wide receiver does for like passes that aren't there. Like if you throw it behind him, he can still pull it in. He needs to work on his pass protection, but that's, the same for an awful lot of running backs coming out of college because just how the back is used in that kind of thing. There's so much positives to look at him, especially with the rise last season, I think especially of running teams. You look at the, we talked a little bit about this as we were going sort of week by week, the turnaround in the Carolina Panthers, when they sort of moved on from Matt rule and they just started to use that running back by committee, like double headed attack and how much success that brought them. And you've got to kind of look at that and think, I mean, the, the Panthers would be an ideal destination for him if they hadn't have traded up, obviously, to get a quarterback. But there are teams that need a good running back. And depending on where you're picking, if he's still there, you've got the potential to get an absolute steal. I doubt he'll make it as far as the Chiefs. But there are a lot of like mid-tier, mid-pick teams that would absolutely rush the card in for someone like that. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, I mean, you you say, I mean, the Panthers absolutely turned it round with the run game. You see how teams like the Falcons have used the run game really well. The Giants built so much around Saquon Barkley. Maybe, you know, you're right. Maybe there is a trend that that somehow kind of reignites the value of running backs around the league. Um, but yeah, I like it. I like it. Jamea Gibbs, that guy is incredible. I, I think this is the the weird thing with, you know, the devaluing of the running back position is that you're going to get really, really talented football players that go much, much later than if you purely went off what they can add to your team for a few seasons. Um you know, you get value, but yeah, Jamal Gibbs is incredible. I think the thing with him is that speed, acceleration, but soft, soft hands, you know, the guy can catch and did so a lot between, um, where was he? Georgia and uh, Georgia and Bama. He was at, um, yeah, over his college career, but, the guy can catch. And I think that adds a real double threat to the running back position, which is so expected now, you know, 
teams need running backs to be more than just bulldozers. Um, so yeah, he's the he's the other real talent at running back for me. But the other <laughs> the other like little mention for me is Tank Bigsby, the Auburn running back. Um, just because a I love his name, but also I think the guy is so good in the kind of NFL setting of arena because he was playing at Auburn, which had a terrible line. And so this last season, he had 5.5 yards per carry, 4.1 of which came after contact. I mean, just an absolute bulldozer. You think you get four, (laughs) you get four out of the five yards that you get per rush and four of them are after somebody's hitting you at the cut. So, yeah. I mean, I just think he's the sort of player that, you know, you love because what you saw at, um, at the Lions, what's his name? I forget, but everybody needs a guy to bulldoze those three yards into the end zone. Williams? You know, uh, Williams, yeah, Williams, yeah. rather than Swift, yeah, wasn't it for that? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, it's, it's so good. Yeah, you want a, a running back with home run speed, with incredible hands that can be all over the field. But ultimately, what did Williams get this year? 17 touchdowns, something insane. Yeah. Like he had so many touchdowns and it's like, yeah, he got loads of touchdowns from the three yard line. It's like, yeah, but he got them. Yeah. There's a heck of a lot of a heck of a lot of running backs that get to the three and don't punch it in. Yeah. And, you know, players like that are what win you games, not necessarily big contracts, but they win you games. Oh, if you can turn three points into seven. Yeah, you're you're going to find yourself um, enjoying a pretty long career, and I think that's uh, one of the things about this draft is, you know, we said about good teams made better. I mean, if you can pick up good tight ends, good running backs in this draft, you know, if you're one of those good teams that maybe doesn't have one of those top ten picks, if you can find a real talent to plug in to your first team, you know, your your first kind of. Um, Open your offensive starters. That's the phrase I was I was reaching for. You know, if you can add some real talent to your offensive starters at a value pick, you know, maybe even at around two or three, you know, that could be the difference. You said it, JB. There is look. There's a bit of a gap between the best and the worst. But do you know what? Between the best and the very best, there's not a lot. You know, we saw teams like the Dolphins who looked like they were going to go close. We saw teams like the Bills look unbeatable and then still not go all the way. I think when it comes to Lombardi, there's a lot of people in the mix and the draft could actually have a really big bearing on who gets there. So that's what makes it most exciting for me. And like I say, it's not going to be with those top 10 picks, is it? The Panthers aren't winning the Super Bowl, but if the Chiefs pick up someone good, the Chargers pick, you know, some of these teams in the mix could really have the difference made in what the fourth week of I think as well, like we've touched on what, maybe 10, maybe 12 top top players that are all going to go top in the draft not even touched on the hidden gems that are knocking about in rounds four five and six i mean you think uh super bowl winning running back pacheco was what sixth round yeah for the Chiefs this year and that's another case to your point rob good teams can find good players and it's not even necessarily they're finding good players in round one lower in the round they're going to find talent and they're going to find ability and players that come from small schools with limited experience, but have all those physical attributes and they'll find a way. So this is what fascinating for me. There's nothing like JB said, it's not a home run draft pick is not a home run. 
It's not a proven player. It is not a guarantee of success. And sometimes it's luck. Sometimes it's talent finding value. But yeah, it's all a guessing game because we can all talk about it. And like you said, Rob, Levis is the prime example. Draft experts that do this for a living have players going from fourth overall to 81st overall to seventh. Like, they have no idea. It's all a guessing game. It absolutely is. And I think we've we've got uh, a really exciting pod next week where we'll talk about the defensive prospects. But on the offensive side, it feels like one of the best and one of the deepest draft classes at a number of positions that I can remember. There are proper quarterback prospects this draft, not just one or two. There's more than that, which makes for a really interesting draft narrative. And yeah, I, I'm beginning to get excited about what could happen. Every team... You know, every fan base has got a reason to get excited because one of these players could turn around your fortunes. But, um, gentlemen, you know where I'm going to go with this. It was gold standard podcasting. For now, shall we say stick a fork in it? Our offensive picks are done. And roll back in seven days to uh, do some more gold standard podcasting and focus on D. Yeah, I love it. I already know who James's defensive pick of the draft is going to be. So, yeah, all good. I think most people listening to the pod who follow the draft will know who I'm going to pick. So, Oh, yeah. Do you know what? I wanted to give a clue, but we, we all... Yeah, I'm going to leave it. I'm going to leave it. Right. Tune in next time. Come back in seven days. You'll find out exactly who JB's excited about in the draft. Um, a number of good prospects on the defensive side. Lots of cornerbacks. Edge rushers. I love a draft where there's lots of good edge rushers to talk about. So all of that in seven days. But um, until then, gentlemen, thanks so much for your time. Sterling work. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, JB. Thanks, Gary. This is amazing! Remember to subscribe and be cool. Tell your friends. They 